Welcome to MediaPath. I'm Louise Palenker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. Have you ever wondered what comedians think you should be watching? I will give you a moment to begin wondering so that you can feel better rewarded by what is about to happen. Yes, two of my favorite comedians are joining us here in the studio. They are the fully vaxxed and relaxed and boosted and goosted Eric Schwartz and Cynthia Levin. We will get to their impressive resumes in a moment. But first, Fritz, what have you been enjoying this week? All right, I'm doing your West Side Story. I couldn't, I couldn't avoid it for the two and a half people that don't know West Side Story. It's the retelling of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Tony spots Maria at a high school dance circa 1957 and it's love at first sight and their romance sparks a fire between the sharks and the jets two rival gangs vying for control of the neighborhood it's uh, the crips and the bloods but better dancers <laughs> against american class against class and we're off to the races directed by steven spielberg the book is gently tweaked from its original by tony kushner who wrote the screenplay for spielberg's lincoln and of course wrote angels in america it stars ansel elgort as tony ariana debose as maria and rita moreno who was in the original movie comes back as valentina she's sort of the a singing matriarch of this movie. The original movie took a lot of heat because of the appropriation of the Puerto Rican culture. Natalie Wood played Maria and she had her skin darkened for the role. The movie was very anglicized, the original one. Spielberg said on 2020, it's important that the representation be authentic. To return to the integrity, I think it deserves. And we felt, all of us together felt, that we need this to be a Latinx project. And I think it was a success. The acting, the singing, the dancing, spectacular. It's grittier and more real to the streets than the original. The actors effortlessly bounce back and forth between Spanish and English dialogue without subtitles. But you miss nothing because the emotions and the meaning are all right there. They added the original version, La Borinquena, which became the official anthem of the territory of Puerto Rico. And although the film opened Friday with sort of tepid starts at the box office, I don't care about that. The person I was with and I both decided it was even better than the original. If this story is to be remembered for years to come, better that this new version is the one that gets passed down and remembered by each new generation because it is authentic. I loved it. I thought it was spectacular. Wow. More snapping or less? Incidentally, no, there's a lot of snapping, but it's uh, digitally enhanced, so the <laughs> snapping is worse than Incidentally, the soundtrack orchestration was conducted by Gustavo Dudamel, so people in L.A. know he's the conductor of the L.A. Philharmonic, and he's like a god in this town, so it was really good. That's so great. All right, thank you for that review, Fritz. Cannot wait to see it. I have been listening to the American Radical podcast from MSNBC and Eamon Mohadeen. Mm -hmm. Roseanne Boylan was a 34-year-old Georgia woman with no interest in politics. On January 6, her family received the devastating news that she had died at the Capitol. MSNBC's Eamon Mohadeen went to school with Roseanne's brother-in-law, and together, their attempt to figure out what happened to Roseanne leads them down shadowy internet rabbit holes into the heart of QAnon and its dangerously addictive pull on vulnerable citizens. What we learned, for example, is that Roseanne lived with her parents in recovery. Her life's work was staying sober. She was responsible for going to meetings. So that was the extent of her purpose. And it's posited here that QAnon targeted these meetings for recruits because here you had folks with addiction issues who are just aching for meaning in their lives. 
You tell them they can search the Internet for secret clues that will rid the planet of baby blood-drinking demon pedophiles, and they are in. It's like a video game, only you're actually saving the world. American Radical is a five-part series with new episodes every Thursday and Sunday through December 19th, and it is riveting. Yeah, I love him. You know, he's uh, like a new star host on MSNBC, and um, he's so smart and a great interviewer, and I can imagine the podcast is great. Yeah, it's a level of understanding that a lot of folks in the center, like you and I, don't really can't grasp, like, why is this even happening? How are these people so siloed? And so this gives gives us some explanation. How many episodes? I think it's six, five or six, but they're rolling them out twice a week, so there's a lot online no, right now. He's great. I'm hoping it does well for him. What else you got, friends? I'm going to do a book called The Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. I loved The Underground Railroad, which is a fantastic series on Netflix, but I also read the book, which is slightly different than the series, but I love both of them. Harlem Shuffle is the follow-up to Nickel Boys, which is said to be his best work. I did not read it, and it got him a second Pulitzer Prize. It's a crime fiction. It's a family saga. It takes place in Harlem between 1959 and 1964. It's broken up into three sections, three separate capers, and it culminates in the Harlem riots of 1964. Ray Carney, lives in Harlem with his wife, who's expecting their second child. Ray comes from a criminal family. His father was a thief and a grifter. Ray rises above the criminal underworld slightly by being a furniture salesman at 125th Street. He keeps one toe in the underworld, though, because he occasionally fences stolen items just to make a little, as a side hustle, uh, out of his furniture store. Ray's cousin, Freddie, is knee-deep in crime. Freddie organizes a heist at the Hotel Teresa and recommends that his cousin Ray fence the goods while the heist goes south, and I'll leave it there. This all forces Ray into a personal struggle between legal and illegal aspects of his life. It's a great read if you are familiar with Harlem or New York. It's geography, well-written, but I think even more fun if you're like me and you don't know anything about Harlem but are fascinated by the gritty, shady life the descriptions of Harlem life, the more than real characters. It's different than Underground Railroad, which was more surrealistic. You had to suspend your disbelief. But Harlem Shuffle is down and dirty realism. I loved it. It's a great book and a fast read. Wow. Thank you for that. Mm. Definitely diving in. I've got another podcast for us. Ready? Yeah. So I've been enjoying a, a podcast series called Mixtape. It's from Radiolab. Radiolab host Simon Adler contends that cassette tapes dramatically altered the course of humanity. He's out to prove his thesis with a five-part series called Mixtape. Now, when I was a little kid, I had a transistor radio with an earplug for that personalized, walking-around, private listening experience. But I was listening to a radio station, which was still a shared experience. And, you know, it was just the one ear that was feeling the tunes there. Come the cassette tapes, now we've got a recordable, rewritable spliceable, mobile, and with a Walkman, you no longer need to exclude one of your ears. For the first time, you could move through your surroundings with your own completely curated personal programming. In five episodes from around the world, Mixtape explores the impact of the cassette. For example, episode one, cassette tapes trashed as scrap heap brought Western rock music to China and created a cultural remix on the greatest possible scale. Two, Bing Crosby and some stolen Nazi technology won his audience back and changed media forever. Three, many nights during the Vietnam War, if you listened closely, you'd swear you heard a ghost. Now learn the story of that ghost and how it still haunts us today. Four, 
how the cassette tape created the internet, and five, three stories of cassette tapes as peculiar assistants carrying self-help, a village's history, and lost love. Wow, that's cool. I've seen that. I just breezed by it because I thought it was like a hip-hop story or something. It is not. It is not. It's. Have you caught a bad case of the COVID? Something on her enthusiasm for this topic. I burped up my tea. No, no, no. You're about to test positive. It's all going on right here on oh MediaPath. I got the best seat. <laughs> I'll get it the so, quickest. So, and I have one more pick before we introduce our guests. You can step out of the room if you need to, Cynthia. Somebody smack me on the back. You can do that. Harder than that. Oh, me. I didn't want to hurt you. Please hurt me. You have to cough at the same time. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, I don't yeah. have children. There you go. <laughs> I didn't know the rules. Am I burping a grown woman? Is that what's going on right now? <laughs> you are. How'd this happen? All right, so I've been watching Coming Out Colton on Netflix. When Bachelorette contestant Colton Underwood became The Bachelor, he inspired The Bachelor franchise to exhaust an entire season, helping him find love among 30 attractive and available females. While all the while, Colton was not really romantically interested in any of them because since he was a young boy, he has known that he is gay. So ABC is like, not here for the right reasons, and Netflix is all, give us six seasons. Their new reality show, Coming Out Colton, features Bachelor football star Small town Christian Colton Underwood awkwardly embracing his true self and I am invested. First of all, yeah. it's misrepresentation of the part of ABC. Second, they didn't know. Does he ever find a, a successful romance like a gay guy on the crew or something? No, no, no. So he dates all these women. He he picks what was the name of the girl he picked? He picked a girl named Cassie or something like that. And uh, he would he had convinced himself that since he found her attractive that she was his last hope of being straight. So when they broke up, he started stalking her. He got really desperate. I mean, if you're like deeply rooted in your lie, and let's just call it a lie. Let's just call pretending to be straight a lie if you're gay, which is, sounds like a harsh word, but the, we're asking little kids to lie by not accepting all different sexualities, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what society is enforcing upon them is to, in order to survive, especially as a small town football hero, that he had, you know, with all the homophobia and the jokes in the locker room that, that coaches are... Toxic masculinity. Tox, to, that, and, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and everybody's on board. <laughs> and every, everyone, <laughs> and it's all, you know, and adults and teachers hear it and no one stops it. They just further it. So you just stuff that down further. So now he winds up on, on The Bachelorette and then everybody likes him so much that they offer him, you know, do you want to become The Bachelor? And he's the virgin bachelor, which, okay, that's fine. But the thing, he was a virgin because he wasn't ready to have sex. It sure takes the sexual tension out of the show. Well, no one knew. See, Fritch, <laughs> you have ready? to understand. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you have to understand, he was the virgin bachelor, but everyone just assumed the default position was straight. Everyone just assumed that he wanted. Yeah, but they have to make out and go through all He these. did all that. He made out with girls. He did, he did all that. But it was easy wow. for him not to go all the way because he didn't really want to go all the way. Like, he's not even ready to go all the way with a guy. Like, he's now, now on this show, oh, he's, he's... really a virgin. No, but he, he's been suppressing it for so long that while, while he's allowing it to come forward, it all feels strange and not like the real him. He's, and so the series kind of shows him gently coming out to people and talking to other gay guys, especially in the, in the ath athletic world, about what that was like for them growing up and how they embrace that and how as much as a lot of show business society is like, oh, you're gay, you're straight, you like guys, girls, whatever. It's not like that in sports yet. It is not like that in sports. It's starting to be. NFL it's, players are coming out. Which but is, it is. hasn't been. And the locker room is like the most, as Eric said, toxic, masculine place because 
Col- as Colton explained in the episode that I watched last night, it's a combination of like homoerotic and. Oh wow! I'm supposed to come up with the term homophobic. Today. Uh, thank homophobic. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Dina. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He said it's this weird hybrid. You know, they're smacking each other on the butt and calling each other, you know, the f word. It's it's all of this combined. It's their fear of being perceived as being soft mixed with they're all naked together and some of them are gay. So let's be, or some of them are on some sort of spectrum where you know that's hot and they just can't say that out loud. They could have paid the whole thing off by bringing on Mike Pence to do some conversion therapy. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't put Mike Pence in a room full of naked guys. <laughs> Mother wouldn't approve. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I'm finding it very interesting because it's in, it, to me, it's interesting how far behind sports is. Like, I just I hadn't realized sports is dragging up the rear on acceptance of hey. people being who are they. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's because uh, they... A lot of people think that it, it's like all masculinity that needs to go into sports. And if there's anything else, then it'll make us softer. Oh. But they don't realize that gay men can also be uh, warriors. I predict that in the next five years, you're going to see a transgender place kicker. Sure. Because that's the only one where you won't get your clock cleaned every time you get hit, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I see a transgender I quarterback. These people. I can see a transgender quarterback. Yeah. Plays offense. Someone who plays for both teams. I, I don't see <laughs> why not. Anyway, that's coming out, Colton. I find it fascinating. He's got a great smile, and it's fun to watch. Who'd like to hear about our guests? Because they're sitting here, and yeah. they're very cute. They're so attractive, and everyone wants to know who they are and why they are. All right, so let me start with you. Let's see. Please welcome the multidimensional Eric Schwartz, a man who engagingly combines stand-up, parody, and filmmaking to entertain audiences the world round, and Cynthia Levin, whose mother once explained to her over soup and half a sandwich, you've always been the truth teller in the family, but you know what, honey? Nobody wants to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) And rather than listening to me delve further into your meaty bios, let's each of you imagine that you are emceeing your own act. How would you bring yourself to the stage? Begin with Eric. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your favorite uh, bald, bespectacled, lactose intolerant, <laughs> quarterstep Mexican Jewish comedian, Eric Schwartz. Yeah! Yay! I was hoping he'd be here. <laughs> and Cynthia? Um, I guess I'll just introduce myself the way I have been introduced with uh, She's a Jew. And that's pretty much it. That's uh, Cynthia Levin. She's a Jew. Ladies and gentlemen, know. she's a Jew. <laughs> they really only had to say Cynthia Levin. Yeah, exactly. But, but they needed to throw that in. Yeah. But, but, so it's pronounced Levin. Yeah, it is. Okay, apologies for whatever I have been saying previously. It's I will right. correct my it behavior. Out. Now, a lot of people, when you're at a party, imagine that once again we can attend a party and you're there and some, and you say, what do you do? And then some, you say, I'm a comedian. Oh, would I know your work? What, how do you answer that question? Um, would you know my work? Uh, probably not, unless you go out to the clubs um, or you, you're you always on the internet looking up comedy. Yeah, don't undersell yourself. Well, if they find your website... I mean, I have a website. Oh, you just do one. That's CynthiaLevinProductions.com. Uh, oh, wonderful. Yeah, so I have a website. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's stuff on there, very, for real. Very, very um, stuff. Eric's too. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, I always, I will always undersell myself because um, I'm. Yeah. I feel like I'm living my life under a shelf, and um, even right now. No, I no, you're on like top. I'm right this is under right your shelf. The surface, and you're on top of it. Uh, and Eric, what when when you're at a party? And well, so- I kind of felt like when my friends introduced me as, "Hey, he's a famous comedian," and then people are like, 
really? And I'm like, well, obviously not if you don't know me. I, you know, I kind of got to take my ego out of the whole thing and just be grateful for the people that I am reaching, like the people that listen to this show. All right, so what does the Eric Schwartz superfan look like? How old is she? Oh, How wow. often does she write? I mean, have you ever looked in the mirror, Louise? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my God, I'm turning red. Yeah, um, <laughs> you are. <laughs> no, I mean, I if I were gonna if I were gonna put out an ad on Facebook to reach one person, I would. I mean, honestly, I probably would be a. Uh, it would be a um, Latina woman in her 30s to 50s. I guess. Let, let me talk. I have about a lot of those. It's fans. really hard for people to self-assess. So let me talk about both of them. Yeah. First of all, Eric, I feel like he's a member of our family because he worked with us when he was an intern and didn't have an act. True. And now he's one of the best <laughs> comedy headliners in the United States. What? I worked with him the other night, and I will tell you that <laughs> he has this magic thing of being able to appeal to all age groups. I mean. That auto-tune thing is designed for current teenagers, <laughs> but his jokes about being Mexican and Jewish appeal to people my age, which is another century completely. And he has a broad scope of fans. And I watch them react. And this lady, uh -huh. uh, I mean, and I'll tell you what these- <laughs> Thank you, friends. I'll tell you what both these people have in common and that I have so much respect for. They are so comfortable performing on stage and seize control of the stage. If you watch Cynthia's um, videos on the internet, on her website or wherever, she immediately establishes control. And I'm not going to say how, but she has guts. <laughs> no, I don't, you know, it's not my job to do that. But, but so both of these people have such great command of the stage. And... Um, Cynthia appeals to slightly you know, older people because she's Wait a little a more adult. Oh, my God. But, uh, what time is it? I think no, I gotta no, I, I don't mean <laughs> that as an insult. No, I'm kidding. You are beyond funny. I, but it's just, if I compare you to him, he, he, he appeals to 50 to 80. He means adult people. like in bookstore. Oh, of oh, course. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, where they have glory holes and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. It's Weezy. all going on. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I love them both because they both look so comfortable on stage. And you cannot not watch the weather. It's the word pro. Stage time, 10,000 no, hours. Not, yeah, but, but also, but not everybody has that. Not everybody looks like they're so at home on stage. Some people are painfully uncomfortable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're, they're up you there. You say that and you they're look like directly me. at me. No, I'm not looking at you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, That's why I looked this way at Fritz. But I, I'm, you know, I'm up there to do the words, and these guys are like all-around performers. Oh, Cynthia's yeah. a great actor. Come on, Eric's a great actor. Well, no, hey, do you even hear that from? I consider you two mentors because when I, Cynthia, you don't know this, but I, I literally was their intern for a show, and I would pick up sandwiches before the show, and I would like fill out note cards and like keep the show going. And um, they had a, a show that they were making. And to hear that from your mentor years later, that is like, wow. You know? I, I had to follow you last week at, at oh. Flappers, and it was freaking impossible. You know what, though? That was a, a rare. It was. And, and I want happened. you to tell the story. <laughs> this about, is crazy. <laughs> this is really. And you've had, I know, I know, and you probably would dig your way out of it as well as anybody performing. <laughs> but he. <laughs> talk the, talk about the blind guy. Oh, no. Please. Okay, so I'm I'm performing, and it couldn't have been going better. 
like you feel like, oh yeah, everything's hitting. I'm at a 10 right now. And then I, I saw this dude in the front row. He had long black hair. Uh, he had a scraggly beard and round glasses that were tinted blue. And I, before I went on stage, I'm like, that guy looks like a vampire. I'm gonna say he looks like a vampire. So I go, I go. Yes, we're coming down the street. So I go, I go. What do you think, Mr. Vampire? And the crowd loses it. They go to an eleven. I'm like, no, I'm really killing. And then he goes, he's laughing, and he goes, I'm blind. <laughs> and we go to a twelve. Now I'm embarrassed, and I'm red, and I'm like, I'm, I know I'm turning red, and I go, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm turning red. You can't see it. Let me have your hand. Let's put it on my forehead. Feel how hot I am. And I just kept riffing on it. Oh no, it was your, it was the way you worked your way out of it was pro, man. It was. Pro. I don't even know. It was one of those out of body experiences where I just found another thing and another thing. And I'm like, by the way, why are you sitting in the front? Exactly. You're blind. That was the first question. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> why are you sitting in the front? I was waiting for that one. <laughs> Taking up, you know. And meanwhile, I'm like, don't get too too far forward into the lights. You'll burn up. Because he's a vampire. Because he's a vampire. Yeah. Back to that. Yeah. Full circle. But I'm like, well, wow. if you you know you look like a vampire. Maybe he doesn't. But he, he then I found out after and the show. maybe he wasn't really blind. Maybe he was riffing on you. I found out after the show he could still see. So he was going blind, but he could still see pretty well. Oh, what a yeah. cheater. I mean, like, I'm pretty. Then if I, you're blind, then I'm blind if I have. 20 minus 400. Anyway, he totally uh, owned the audience, and then I had to go with my lame-ass white old guy. No, but... Did you, did you, Fritz, try, did you try the... Uh, so are you a vampire? No. <laughs> you know, if you had <laughs> called someone else a vampire, that would have killed. Yeah. Like some lady, are you a vampire? But that was fun for Can me to you watch see? you just destroy as a real pro. But, so, um, well, yeah. thanks, Fritz. And Fritz, I mean, every time I watch you, it's like... The command of the language that you have and the intelligence, I'm like, I will never compare. Okay. No. Well, everyone has their strength, and, yeah. and that's the beauty of stand-up. Both of you guys. And, and you Sylvia, know? you got to watch her videos. Honest to God, I was crying last night <laughs> because she just walks up on stage, yeah. and you, you do this thing that I think gives you power immediately. You just go balls out on some really edgy things right away to say, I'm in charge of this and don't fuck with me. And, it, and it, it's great, though. It really, it, it immediately establishes who's in charge here. Yeah, it's, and, it's rage. This is healthy, then. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. But no, you, um, you yeah. improvise really well. I mean, you get the, that piece from the, uh, I'm sorry. No, she uh, needs to get uh, closer. Uh, to uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the thing you did from, uh, is it Davenport's uh, Oh, yeah. I, was, I did a piano bar in Chicago And it was the Davenport's. first time you'd ever worked with yeah, a Yeah, I'd, I'd never, player. right. Yeah, and I'd she's never. improvising with a piano player. It was hysterical. <laughs> and I thought, boom, these guys are both wonderful pros. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, I could yeah. I could expect some, um, what do they call it? What's that word? What's the password for you? Is acerbic? Is that a word that is, might describe you? Uh, Possibly. Acerbic wit? I don't know. That? Maybe. Yeah. Get it closer. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Do you see what I do? That's why it's a desperate woman. That's why no, she's doing we, that. You okay. can buy these for home use. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if it, you've been doing it for 30 years and Eric's been doing it for, you know, 15 or 20. And I don't know if that's just something that comes over time. But when you walk up there and insist on being paid attention to, I think that's 50% of the battle right there. <laughs> 
Especially if you deserve the attention. Yeah. And, and she oh, does. no, you think you got to bring it. Yeah. I, 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 that, that goes without saying. Yeah, absolutely. But Eric, was when I booked Eric to come today, he said, would you like me to stop for Armenian Deli? And I, I thought, <laughs> hmm. But he, this was a callback to that's what he used to bring yeah. when we were doing the couch. At, once a week, me and Fritz and Henry Winkler and James Arnold Taylor and Rob Alan Eisenberg. Alan Wankus and... The funniest people I know and my, my deepest, closest brothers of the heart would come and we rehearsed the hell out of this this show that we were going to be pitching. And Eric would Eric was the best intern in the world. He uh-huh. did he did everything. He brought us Armenian deli sandwiches, which are what, the best. What's an Armenian deli sandwich? Um, it's it's rolled in pita mm-hmm. and it's Armenian. Mm-hmm. That makes it good. Is it does it's, it have an Armenian last name to it? Like what is it? It's, it's a sandwichian. <laughs> <laughs> and it has string cheese. Oh my god, Cynthia, string cheese. It's a turkey sandwich and, and turkey. pita. Yeah, with avocado. Yeah, and yeah but Cynthia in her videos introduces maybe the greatest concept in comedy called kosher bacon. That's all you have to Oh, that's kosher that's, bacon. Yeah. Tell me had more. That. I grew up with kosher bacon. Tell me more. It's actually it's in the pr- promo from, or I should say, the the title sequence for my TV series that I've been writing, Unprepared for Life. And um, my mother's at the stove. It's all animated. It's a giant. It's a giant mother bird, and she's cooking, and she's on the phone. No, I know, I know, I know. And meanwhile, I'm behind her, being born in a an egg and it's cracking but she can care less because and then right next to it you see the kosher bacon package you know and then oh. And, oh no all right i'll hang on a second you know i missed hears, that visual i was so obsessed with the little chicken yeah yeah and yeah. then you fall and then off i fall and she, over she's like oh wow. out of the nest and then she oh, goes wow yes. and then you crack and exactly now, and she so yells that- i'm with anyone and she's pretty much over it and then she goes back to her phone call so, so that was pretty much my that, life is that was that a pilot for a series or? yeah it's a pilot for a tv series and that's sort of like the animation i had done um for but did the, you feel that way did that feel like you as a child oh yeah so talk about tell me tell us about your childhood. What happened? Why weren't you raised? Um, well, um, I blame no one, and uh, but uh, I was basically I was, uh, had six uh, well five brothers and sisters, but I was the second youngest, and um, I think uh, I don't know. It's really it's it, it's too dark and too deep. So all I'll say is there was a little bit of neglect going on, and um, and I had to turn it into comedy. So um, my show is called Unprepared for Life because I've never been prepared for anything because I was never told you need to, you know, I was never spoken to. They forgot I was a, I was there. So I basically would go to school and just beat people up and then cheat on all the tests and then cause trouble and make people laugh and then go chase people home. And, you know, I mean, that was like my life, but I was living it without a family. So... <laughs> Like, yeah, you are fearless on stage, but you can tell that deep in there, there's anger. Somewhere. And I'm glad I, on any given moment, I'm not the recipient of that. Anger. Well, you know what's healthy? Better to disperse it over an audience. Thank you, Fritz. Exactly, <laughs> speckle it around. But I'm no because the thing is, is that I actually address my emotions on a daily basis. Where I know people who think they're the healthiest alcoholics in the world, and um, and they will lose, you know, lose it on me or other people because, you know, they're just, they have rage, you know, they, they think, oh, I feel, but I feel better now that I got it out. Doesn't it, aren't you glad I got it out? I'm like, no, get it out before you see me. Right. Get it out, deal with it. You, you know what I'm saying? I'm not the recipient of this. It doesn't belong to me. So like, I actually, when I, there's real rage, I don't take, that's not, that, that's never real and because and, that's not funny. So it's, yeah. yeah. So on stage, no, it's... bring the energy level way up. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of, it's comedic. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to choke everybody. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, uh... Let me ask you a question about that, because that was a question that popped up while I was watching. 
especially when you first started doing it, how did the audience react to that? Did, did it did it make men be cautious and pull back? I mean, that that's it's, it's a real power stance on your part. Yeah, you I mean, uh, it you, it doesn't. I think that they actually respond to it. They think it's funny. Um, yeah. So, oh, I mean, I, I, I mean, no, I mean, uh, no, they don't, I don't think that it throws them because if it's coming from just comedic space, meaning if it's real anger, then they're going to be like, you know, go screw yourself. Do you know what I mean? But it, because it's not real, it's just me actually flirting in a really aggressive way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's really actual flirt- flirtation. That's what it is. And so, um, and it's just, and so that's, that's how it comes off. I forgot, I forgot what I was going to no, say. It's anything, very yeah. funny. And it's, and, you, and you're self-deprecating while you do it, oh, yeah. which endears you to the audience. I just wondered if, you know, some men are so, I, I remember, I, I think I talked about this with Elaine Boozler when, when, when female standups were just getting started and men had to figure out the power transference. The woman with the microphone is the one with the power. Mm-hmm. And am I going to give her the power? I'm going to let her seize the power mm-hmm. of the room. And so I just wondered if men reacted. Uh, that's an interesting thing. When I was living on the East Coast, and then I'll shut up, but when I was living on the East Coast, okay. I was I would do, you know, gigs all over the place. And the women were the ones who were just like, the men were fine with me. They were like, ah, you know, they loved it. They, you know, they were into it. And the women were like, um, they would just like look at their their significant other. They didn't, they were not comfortable with me, but I never thought I was attractive. So may, uh, maybe that they thought, oh, here's this woman who's single. And now she's, you know, now she's trying to sleep with my husband or my boyfriend. The reality, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I always saw myself as just some, you know. I, well, I, maybe I, you had you know, the guts that old they slob wish with an, they a had. hole, empty hole. Sorry, that's too much. But what? <laughs> maybe you had the guts they wish they had. I don't know, but they were really sometimes. It depends on where you go, right? Because there were some people that were really ignorant, usually Long Island or something like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I call it ignorant arrogance. They're pretty amazing at that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, they were the ones that would get threatened. In other places, they wouldn't care. They couldn't care less. So it just depends. I think it's where you are, you know, and um, just like. How I think they're, what they're used to. Yeah, the the psychology behind female stand-up comedians is rich and deep. There's a lot going on when a woman stands on stage, holds a microphone, and talks, and everyone in the audience is looking at her. So some of the dynamics, and I'm not going to be able to cover all of it, but some mm-hmm. of the dynamics are, you know, if a guy laughs too loud, does his girlfriend think he's hot for 100%. her? 100%. Can a man look at a woman on a stage for more than 30 seconds without imagining her naked or him on top of her or oh, you know about that. is the is the woman no, is the woman thinking i'm supposed to now be this confident i'm supposed to now be this funny uh, it's it's just mm. it's hard to get people past their own business mm-hmm. to simply listen to your words and mm-hmm. laugh yeah yeah, I think that's why I would go to self-deprecating right away. But that's really who I am. It's not just to enter, you know, for your benefit. It's just because that's the truth of me. And I think that brings people towards you. But I think that oh, if yeah. you're real cocky, it's very endearing. Then I suppose I, it's hard, and, and it's brave. I think both of you are really brave. And when I w- when I have conversations with other comedians when I was doing comedy, and you know, it was kind of debated why do some men think that women aren't funny like jerry lewis you know was famous famously saying he doesn't find women funny and so we would have these conversations with you know other comedians talking about it and and i had a friend of mine actually say we don't think women are funny because 
you guys are already telling us all your feelings all day and you we have to listen to it why would i want to go to a club and listen to you do it on a stage right. whereas when men talk about what they're feeling it's interesting because mm-hmm. they usually don't it's right and he hates his mother thank stage. you i mean it all has to yeah. do with what did yeah. you just yeah. say what because they have to relinquish power to the lady on the stage and men aren't ready to do that right. at least and i think there's a lot of that for it is yeah. and it's all about the mother i mean it's like they, it's true if you have like issues with your own mother you hate all women because again most people don't deal with their shit they just don't they don't go to therapy mm-hmm. and so we are, we are constantly the recipients of your mess, you know. Mm. But um, also uh, the the thing about they want us to be men in general and even in women. They want you to be the the mother because they want you to be the nice. You know, they don't want your mother. They want to see their mother up there screaming and, you know, and mm-hmm. swearing or talking about sex or they want to keep you in your place. And so they, mm. that's why people do not like women comics for that reason specifically it's threatening I mean, it all, it all has it. Some, everything to do with our societal roles of of women yeah. and less to do with comedy mm-hmm. you know 100%. right so there's a uh, lot you and, and cynthia is right too i think you bring your baggage to the performance and perceive it differently than the person right well there's just what i'm saying is there's a lot of dynamics already in place yeah. before you step foot on the stage and and she's able to rise above all that, cut across all of it, and just be freaking funny. And I think that yeah. comes from the power she immediately asserts when she goes on stage, which is hysterical. Yeah, that's very impressive. And Eric, I I, I love you because she's not a class, she's not a, a stand-up that you can pigeonhole. You're like a great cabaret performer. You you you're like a lane stretch if you will. I know. I would love. I mean, I want to do that song. I'm still here. I'm still here. I mean, I you know, you, the way you improvise with a piano player is hysterical and really. And what I love that Eric brings to it is you're kind of a multimedia comedian. You're not a straight sure. phonologist, and you bring video presentations and you bring music and you do the auto tune and all that. So it's a full on. Like 21st century vaudevillian performance. Thanks. That's what I set out to do, kind of something like that. Wow. So glad it's uh, glad you saw it that way. And I like how both of you take all of your talents and mold them into your act. And and I think so many comedians are are really really good at that. If they're also musical, or if they're also you know good sketch performers, or also good actors that you know, and to bundle that into into a package and say, let me ha- let me take what I have and and bring it. I was just like, I know this business is really hard, so I have to take every resource I have and put it, no, put it out. But you honestly. have, but you've got like a really rich palette, and oh, you thanks. and you're good. You're you're a great musician. You're a great vocalist. You can you you're a great impressionist, and you're fearless. You're like the male Lucy. You don't care how many <laughs> wigs you wear or how many <laughs> how many people you trip over into. You know, you're just you just you throw commit. yourself. Yeah, you commit. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta commit. Uh, but yeah, no, that's uh, thanks. Uh, I felt like, honestly, like, you know, everyone has their superpower, right? And that's, I, you know, I started as a DJ and that was like, you know, what could yeah, be... Yeah, you have all that digital stuff wow. working. Yeah, yeah. So oh, These are great little bites they can find on YouTube that sell you, you know, little chunks of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell us a little bit about your childhood because you, you have a suburban oh. childhood, but you're a one quarter step Mexican. Right. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not Mexican by blood. I am my stepfather is Mexican, so I say that I'm step Mexican. Mm-hmm. I was raised with some of the culture, uh, and so and 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 actually, I, I I was raised missing a lot of it because I spent time between my mom and dad. So a lot of stuff now is like me discovering 
the culture and how fascinated I am with it. And I talk about cultura, which is culture in Spanish. Oh. Yeah. Yo comprende. Yeah. 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 You speak Spanish? Ah, sí, muy poquito. Yeah. He's, he does all that. Maybe the audience loves that. But like, so it's it's so crazy how um, the how you know Mexican people in in spe- specifically because that's you know my stepdad's Mexican have responded to it like they're so open armed about it and. That's great. I mean, especially what's what's going on right now. And actually, in 2016, that was when I started saying, like, hey, I got to really incorporate that part of me out there because I didn't want to – I wanted to show rather than tell what I thought because I thought telling it would just turn people off. I, the, do, you know what I'm, do you know what I'm alluding to? Yeah, plus, you're yeah. very smart. You're playing to Los Angeles audiences on any given night. 30 to 40 percent could be Mexican. Or right. Latin American. Well, and they want to be included. Arizona. They yeah. they they they, they want to be included. And when I worked for Rick Dees, he would sometimes call himself Ricardo Diaz. And I'd meet people, and they'd say, you know, his real name is Ricardo Diaz. And I'd be like, hmm, <laughs> no, he's from North Carolina. His name is Rigdon Osmond Dees the third. But but you know, it, it, they want to be embraced. They want to be included. They yeah. they were here before we were. Yeah. So that's all. They everyone wants to be seen. Well, because I kept hearing all the what they say rhetoric uh that was anti anti-mexican and i was like what wait a minute we gotta we gotta have we gotta have you know people from different races and different you know celebrating cultures you know what i mean mm-hmm. like that's kind of what i why i set out to do that I, I was talking about that before all the 2016 stuff but it made me like really want to represent that part of my family my upbringing a lot more yeah, yeah, and I don't think they see it as appropriation because you're being honest about how you come how you come by it and I call it cultural appreciation. Yeah. That's what I call it. I like that. I don't know. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, like appropriation is when you when you um I looked it up. That's when okay. you when you um I think when it's you, vanilla ice. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you pass it off as something that as your own. Oh. When you try to pass it off as your own and I mean, just look at me. I didn't invent this stuff. All right. So I'm just I mean, appreciating. I think a lot of appropriation just comes because people don't know where it came from. Like, let's say if if what's driving culture forward is is the LGBT community, like, you know, all of our slang and whatever was on the Internet and, you know, being used by them like seven years ago and then finally filters down to us is like, oh, oh. that's cool to say. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> And so we, some people don't do it on purpose. Yes? They just do it because it is it Yaz Queen. Yes. Is that what you're after, Louis? Yeah, yeah. He's but, it, but it kind of like at, by the time it, co- my mom is saying it, she doesn't know she's a part. Right, it becomes mainstream. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. So if I if I'm allowed to say, I I, I saw somebody say something. I I made a comment on um, somebody was eating a bagel or uh, he was they were eating lox and. The debate was whether it was good or not. Okay. And I'm Jewish, and this person was not Jewish, and I said something like, um, "You know, I'll bet I I put my I go I think this stuff is nasty. I'll put my bar mitzvah on that, you know." <laughs> and then somebody goes, somebody goes, "Look, he's trying to." Everyone else was like, "There's this one idiot who goes, look, he's trying to sound like he's down." And I'm like, what? Down as a Jew? No, by saying, I'll put my bar mitzvah on that. Like, put something on that is like, is supposed, I'm trying to show that I'm down. And I looked at the guy's profile. He was a white guy with dreadlocks. 
So, oh, <laughs> I'm like, dude, literally, um, right. a little conscious the of that whole thing. calling the kettle black, I guess, is what wow. you're doing. Wow. So people, yeah. people are just sort of stumbling clueless through life, I think, it's for the like most part. People just want to, people just want to yeah. be right or be righteous kind of thing you it's know? it's hard though now because in politics there's so much hypocrisy that it's become it's become kind of normalized you know, and that's what i it made me realize like cancel culture quote unquote is a perfection level that nobody will ever meet you know what i mean like mm-hmm. there's so many little nuances to everything that you're never gonna it's perfection is what you're going for and you can never be Let, let's perfect. talk about uh, politics Sure. Neither of you do. I don't think you do politics in your act. Not really. No. What's your opinion about that? About not doing politics yeah, why don't in my you act. Do current events material. Um, personally, I don't think I'm sharp enough. I think that there's people who really focus on it, who can, who talk about it, and I'm not gonna. It, to me, I always, you know, because I teach stand up as well, because I have to make seven cents a dollar by the hour. <laughs> anyway, there you go. please God help me. But anyway, so. Um, but uh, I always say, you know, when you're talking about something that everybody has an opinion about, you really need to flip it over and flip it over and flip it over, you know, before you talk about it. Because otherwise you're going to have people going, that's not true. I just, you know, there's going to be so. So you really have to know your topic. And so if it's not something you're really into and that you're willing to spend a lot of time investigating, then um, I, you know, then I, I just don't recommend you talk about it, like politics or religion or, you know, things Plus, like that. Everybody and everything is so radioactive now. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've had friends of mine in the clubs that will do a joke about Trump. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they mention his name, before they get to the punchline, right. right. they can boo right off the stage. Oh, where you yeah. can't even bring stuff up. People don't even want to talk about that. I mean, no, even no matter don't. what side you're on. No, they, they, even if it's creative and fun, just listen and see if the joke makes you laugh and then judge it. Yeah. You can't even get to the punchline. This is what I'm talking about. Triggered people yeah. are literally triggered yes. because they're not addressing their own shit. So anything you say is a trigger to them and they're going to go off on you because yeah. all of a sudden you're the source of all their problems. So by triggered, you mean everything's a threat. It's so, almost like you've accused them of being something and now they're on the defensive. Uh, pretty much. And a trigger basically means when you have a really strong emotional reaction to something. That's you're being triggered. And so, you know, if it's if you don't have a strong emotional reaction, oh, okay. you're not triggered. But if you are you have a strong emotional reaction, that's a trigger. And you're going to and, and if and of course, if you're going to react and you're going to take it out on who's ever in front of you, who's ever but, causing it. But the emotional reaction not, not could, their could be could be guilt. For example, like like I'll just tell you a little anecdote at the beginning of this whole this whole Trump regime. Uh, my I was having dinner with my sister and a friend of hers, and the friend said something that the the other three of us just went, "Wait, what?" And then w- the other the, the other person said to the friend, "Is that something you saw on Fox?" <laughs> to which <laughs> she got up and walked away. Yeah course and, and so so that means the answer to the question was yes, yes mm-hmm. but it was a trigger because she wants to continue believing that the things that she hears on fox are true right. and not to be challenged right and she, it, yeah and of course and, every, and like you were just saying is that everybody wants to be right and that's the ego the ego is the thing that is that's the thing that's get tr- that gets triggered as well. So mm. you, if the ego just wants to be right, and if somebody threatens your rightness, you know what uh. I mean, then they're going to lose you. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Being you right absolutely or, lose but it. But not just being right now, I feel, Cynthia, that it's their worldview. 
Like, do not collapse my worldview. It's the only thing well, keeping me afloat. It is the ego. It literally is. Like, mm-hmm. I've I've done tons of research on the ego, so that's one thing I do know about, and okay. it's your protector. Okay. And if somebody threatens you, they're threatening your ego. Ego is not, oh, I'm the greatest person in the world. Your ego is your protector. So it's there to save you. And if somebody pokes at, you know, a belief you have, um, something or something that you feel safe with, it's then they then they they're gonna their ego jumps up and it's going to attack. And the ego has no emotions. It only is only one speed, which is rage. Have you? I call them the screaming egos. Have you ever seen any? You know, I mean, Trump. He's got. He's, You're so it's, right. it's just all ego. It's all rage. By this, uh, it was the lady that wrote the whole Tiger Mom thing, Amy something or other, and she's a professor Cuba. at Princeton. Yeah, a, a professor at Princeton University, and she wrote a book called Political Tribes. And she said exactly what you said. And the more your ego and your side is attacked, you're not winning people over to your side. You're causing the chasm to be even larger. Yes. So these people like the, the, the Trumpsters and the Fox News aficionados, as soon as you attack them, you're not winning them over to your... Mm-hmm. There, there's no negotiation. Mm-hmm. They're just becoming more metastasized yeah. and solidified in their thought right. process. And your friend yeah. was anticipating this conversation. Yeah. Well, so that's why she was ready to leave. No, she 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 got up and left. So, but the thing was, like, I think the other friend was simply wanting to understand where that information had come from because it didn't make sense to the rest of us. And it wasn't it wasn't a challenge. It was simply an inquiry because we understand that there's a propaganda problem in America mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. That's that's the that's the deep root of what's going on. Is yeah. that people are being permitted to disseminate falsehoods with reckless abandon and it's fracturing us from within. Mm -hmm. So to simply say, I'm not sure I believe what you've just said, where, what's your, you know, like on the internet, it's like source, you know, well, so does source even mean anything anymore? Like, cause the sources are tainted. So what are we to do? Well, everybody's source is their family. So (laughs) do the research, Wheezy, do the research. (laughs) Exactly. But nobody wants their parents to be wrong. They, it's protecting the parent. Kids do that from the time we're born. We protect the parent, you know, we just do it unconsciously. We don't even know we're doing it. And so now you're saying if you're, you know, then we don't grow, which is when you become an adult is mm-hmm. like you know but that that's how you find out who you are and what you believe as opposed to this is what my parents taught me and they're right and I'm right and anybody who tries to question that is you know is sick and they need to get away you know whatever it is and it's a self-preservation mechanism 100% because if your parents aren't the most brilliant people in the world what is to become of me that's exactly it and so and what you know if, if that would make you question everything you know? Yeah. And so people do this unconsciously. Nobody is out there intentionally being mean or aggressive or they're literally protecting the parent. And that's why we always have to like address like, how does this make me feel? How does this make me feel? And if it doesn't make you feel good, it may not be the, the right thought or the right thing to do. Do you know yeah, what I mean? You said- I wanted to write a book called Fox News Killed My Mom. You did? Yes. I think you still should. Because, as she will tell you, as soon as that became a dominant media force, it completely fractured our family. Mm. And I couldn't have a discussion with my mom, who has always been Republican, but my, both of my parents were centrist Republicans. My father was a fiscal Republican, mm-hmm. where he just cared about taxes because right. he was a businessman. But my mom had this, you know, this social and moral, you know, kind of racist, 
And, and as soon as they came on, I couldn't have a discussion with her about anything because she would do the Fox News thing, which is to connect it to some conspiracy theory. Yeah. And I couldn't have a discussion with this woman. And my whole family was right. like that. And let me just say one more thing. And the reason why she's doing that is to protect you. She thinks she's protecting you. Yeah. You are a pretty conservative-looking <laughs> kid. Is in. You know, how could a guy who looks like my son Fritz become a liberal? No. How could I have let that happen? And, and Look at him. Look me, at his I'm Bill Nye him. face over oh here. Oh, my God, this poor thing. I'm going to help he's you. He's a scholar. Oh, he's a mess. My whole family lives in Florida. Florida sorry. is uh, retired people and crackers. Yeah. And I have family that is both. Yeah. I was just there. I say it's, I say it's grandparents and golf courses. But yeah, it was just in Naples. It's not is crackers it? on golf courses. G and G. Yeah, but it is. But it's all that. It's all G&G that. G and G cocktail. Yeah. It's all that. But yeah. Um, I love my family, but Fox News yeah. fractured the family. Yeah, and I know people like that. But was your mother's thing like like to Cynthia's point? Was your mother's thing like where have I gone wrong? My Fritzy, my baby. How is no. he? Okay. My mother was a bit of a narcissist, so it wasn't matter. It didn't matter where I felt. Mm-hmm. It's what she felt. Mm-hmm. She, it was important for her to tell you how she felt right. about uh-huh. that stuff. And then she, and then she would, you, you would tell me that she would like kind of like passive aggressively crank up Limbaugh. Oh no! You know? that, well, that, that that was a true story. I would go down there, and the Bill O'Reilly show would come on at nine o'clock, and my mother was deaf, so she would turn the television up as if it was she's doing this mind control thing on it, and I would get up and say, "I'm going to take a walk around the assisted living complex, and I'll be back in an hour." And and I would I would go out and walk around and come back an hour later when it was over, and she would turn the TV back. It's true. She knew my mom. So. Yeah. Yeah, and again, though, that is about her being right. Oh. I mean, it's just about being right. A very controlling person. Yeah, very, yeah. And uh, and it it, it fit her pattern so beautifully, Mm -hmm. and they played into it. Then you add that the fear that the Fox News Network propagates, and it was all, it was downhill. I thank Jesus, and I don't know him personally. Yeah, he seems nice. Yeah, he seems very nice. I thank him that my mother didn't make it through the Trump administration because I wouldn't have had a, I wouldn't have spoken to a woman, or she wouldn't have spoken to me. But do you think? And this is this is that what I what I think is true is that anyone like I'm a CNN I'm a CNN guy. Oh yeah. But anyone on that side would think that I'm doing the exact same thing, and oh, yeah. knowing that I think is what we need to know about each other that we are believing a totally different set of facts. And we believe in it 100%. But not really a different set of facts. Here's what I find. And that's how I stick up for myself listening to MSNBC and CNN. Mm -hmm. Facts enter into our discussion. Mm -hmm. On Fox News, there's a total, as Weezy said, there's a total misrepresentation of truth over there. Mm -hmm. And that's their brand. They're lying their asses off over there. And, And so if you just take the politics of it and just say what's true, what's not true... And the fact that the president lied 13,000 times when he was in office, according mm-hmm. to the New York Times, it, it's facts and not facts. It's not right and left. It's not Republican and Democrat. It's lies and falsehoods. And here's yeah, where else it goes, I Fritz. I just saw a report today, and I don't have the details. I haven't memorized the specifics, but you can look this up. A reporter um, was was researching the emails that you get sent if you're if you've contributed on the Republican side and if you've contributed. I, I don't know about you guys, but... Uh, Elizabeth Warren is a stalker. <laughs> exactly. She yeah, writes yeah. to me a lot. Okay. But you know, you, you understand the point of getting, you know, I get a lot of mail from Eric Swalwell. Yeah. Okay, honey, I love you, but you know, I need my space. Yeah, so, they don't stop. They just but but the research was that if you get Republican email 
And if you get Democratic email, uh, the Democratic email is 2% lies, and the Republican email is like 70% lies. And there's nothing in the F... FCC that says, did I get the mm-hmm. my yeah, acronym, right. that says you can't lie to people over email. So a lot of the lies that they're getting are coming right into their inbox. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. No. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about. I, I you know, I, I, I have friends on both sides of the equation, but if you're, if you're making a truthful analysis about a situation, you can convince me that you're right about something, whether it's being conservative with money and paying down the national debt and all these things. I'll listen to your argument if you know of what you speak. But when you start telling me falsehoods, the question, this, the the discussion's over. I, I mean, but they will break, they will back it up like it's a fact, though. Oh that's, yeah, that's Alternate the problem. Facts, which was yeah. a genius lady that used uh, to represent yeah. Trump. Yeah. Uh, no, they have, they do have the arsenal, and they're and they're being fed this all day long. So they, you don't want to get into an argument with somebody because you're not going to convince them. Right. Uh, like you said, this is their whole infrastructure yeah mm-hmm. it's it's what they it's what keeps them safe and alive and yeah. it's 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 and they only go to news sources to feed their pre-existing bias well, for instance right. not yeah. only fox news but all these dark deep state yeah. websites right and it feeds their stuff it does and i think the the big thing is and it sort of reminds me you were what you guys were talking about at the top of the show i can't remember what you were talking about exactly but maybe it'll be reminded but that it's a distraction. Um, you were oh that show the um, the documentary show that you were talking about how um, about QAnon the American Radical yeah yeah so I mean they took these people from where they were in rehabs or what would yeah mm-hmm. and so these are vulnerable people right but and the whole thing is is that it's a distraction from what's your true like what's going on with you mm-hmm. like you're in personal pain you've got personal you've got your own stuff going on and it's a wonderful distraction and and so and and so it's perfect nobody wants to deal with their issues nobody wants to deal with their with their wow. with their personal stuff and so and so that's all this is and that's and that's what so when when cnn and msnbc and all these other shows these you know f- uh, left-wing shows that I, you know i watch a little bit of everything here and there but as soon as it feels like it's just people telling on people i just stop because mm-hmm. then it's just then it's just uh gossip so I got the information. Now it's now we're on to gossip. Is, is this helping me? Can I help somebody else yeah, with this I, information? I, I, I want. I, I just want facts, and I'll make up my hey, own way. And you, right. you were so right about the way you put it, the way people don't even. It's subconscious the way they analyze the way they don't analyze what they're doing. But also Trump had the the evil genius that is Trump. He had the ability to make people think it's okay to blame somebody else mm-hmm. for your issues. Like you're saying, That's they it. read these websites mm-hmm. and it, it, it's a distraction from what their real issues mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Well, if people are trying to deal with their real issues, it's really cool if somebody can tell me I can blame somebody right. else for that. Oh, That's what the conspiracies are. That's what the conspiracies are. Like, have you guys ever heard of the Illuminati? Yeah. Worst kept secret society ever. Can we just say that? <laughs> Everyone knows them. They failed. The first rule of secret societies, keep it a secret. Other secret societies, they look at them like these idiots. But it's forms of propaganda that have been, that have worked for centuries. Yep. So there's nothing that new other than the dissemination process is so much more rapid. Yeah. And you, so you don't need to, like, you know, drop leaflets. Because people can get their leaflets right now. I love to talk to people. Uh, you know, I did the Leon Laysom. I did a documentary uh, uh, about the man who was the youngest member of Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was like 12 years old and worked in two or three of Oscar Schindler's uh, factories, one in Krakow and the other in Germany. And, and 
uh, his family said something that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up with a recent conversation. He said, all of this media landscape that we're feeling right now, people's disagreement with one another and being locked off in their opinion and unswayed by the other side is exactly what Germany was like in like 1933. Mm -hmm. Before Hitler worked his way into power, uh, our, our, uh, our divisions, mm -hmm. our uh, right and left, all of it is so hauntingly familiar to anybody that survived that time period. That's what freaks yeah. me out. I, you know, I just want to say one thing about that, which because, um, you know, like I also teach acting. So anyway, um, but like... <laughs> So I just need to teach Cynthia people Levin. some you are shit. Multitasker. No, I'm just need a dollar. But no, I'm just kidding. But um, uh, you know, because I won't do anything for my own career. I just want to help other people. But um, because that's too scary. But um, but what were you just talking about? Um, please remind me now. The siloism of Nazi Germany. Oh, this is a whole thing. Is that what happens? Is is that we we make everybody else the other so mm -hmm. you become yes. the other mm -hmm. so until you get in touch with who you really are which is the fact that we are all everybody like we all have the same traits we're all born with the same traits the same emotions but based on our childhood certain things will happen to us that will cause us to kind of go oh i'm never going to be like that mm -hmm. right you know you don't even remember yourself say saying that you could be zero year days old yeah. and go, you know what? I'm never going to be like that. I'm, and then you go to the total opposite direction and you spend your entire life living just like that. Mm -hmm. And the more bad things that happen to you, the more you say, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be like that. And so then you see those people in the world, right? And mm -hmm. you've been uh, efforting in the total opposite direction wow. okay. your whole life to not be like that effort, which is bad because then you're not, you're acting like that's not a part of you. That is a part of you. And the part you're avoiding is also you where it's, this is all you, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're spending your life efforting and efforting and then you run into somebody who who is that you that that part of you that you hate or you know that you say I'm never going to be like that and then you immediately now you 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 we keep finding stories and more people to justify why we're right right so we, that's why we have the same stories over and over and over again right oh yeah you know, I know I'm right because that person did it and that person did it and that person did it. you're looking for it you know you're I'm looking saying? for like a laziness you you know you're looking for like I worked really hard not to be this and you just went and, and are this and you didn't even try and exactly. so you're mad because you put so much effort into something and, and to, they haven't exactly even things that are positive like I used to have my resistance was towards people who were successful hate them <laughs> I know what you mean oh my God. do you know what I mean like you know it was just like oh you um, you know this person you know like uh, like Will uh, Smith you know I mean could he be He's like, you know, unbelievable, he's right? He's, he's amazing. He's yeah. perfect. He's done everything. His kids are beautiful. Blah, 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 yeah. You know, whatever, right? <laughs> so, um, and you know, and so I should hate him, right? Because uh, he's successful, and and, and so I'm never going to be like that because that's gross, right? And so you avoid that, and then you go in the other direction, and yet that's sort of what I want. But you know, but I'm going to ah. make sure I don't do that because I don't okay. want to be like that. Okay. We always pick the most extreme situation to to avoid as well. Right. So meanwhile, you're not even living in the middle. You know what I mean? You're just yeah, because <laughs> extremes are easy. Do you have a psychology service as well, <laughs> Cynthia? Because really yeah, yeah. you're dissecting my brain right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really because the extremes are more visible. So we spot them, you it's, know, from a distance. Yeah. And we're like, aha. It, exactly. And again, we just want to be right. So we're just well, going to keep finding. Okay, so right. what's the third act of this thing? Are we ever going to heal this? Well, this is how you heal. Is is literally by getting in touch with who you are, your feelings, your, your question your beliefs. Question your opinions. If you have a strong reaction to somebody or something, it, you, that's a trigger. That means that, um, you know, it's like like if I see – it used to be like if I'd see a girl like, you know, like uh, 
no bra. I'd be like, get dressed. What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, you're <laughs> going to get attacked, you whore. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, you know, in a nice way, nice whore, you know? But like, you know what I mean? I would have like a freak out because like, that was my ego jumping up, trying to protect her. Just like if you go to a movie theater, right? You see a scary movie. You know how people always scream at the screen? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, you, you know some, it's always some dumb woman. You know, there's never a man who's He's also blind bushes. and naked. You know what I mean? It's always a woman blind and naked. And, uh, you know, and we're like, you know, you know, idiot, there's somebody in the house, you know, right. like, you know, um, get dressed, you know, and um, and we're screaming. And it's more it's not we're not mad at her. I mean, we're getting mad because we're we're afraid for her. It's the ego jumping no, we up just, to protect her. We want her. her to be dressed when she gets murdered. Right. We want. Exactly. Just, more, you know what I mean? You know, be presentable. Uh, yeah. like Stacy, some shame. The whole thing is way <laughs> is way simpler than we're all making it is that basically face your fear. Right. So. The person or the people that you're afraid of or that you resist, you got to kind of make friends with them in a way. You first have to do you. you so do you, you have to say, like, what is the feeling that comes up? Or the feeling is uh, yeah. anger. What's the feeling behind anger? Uh, sickening. You know, whatever it is. Gum. You know, it could be anything. But it's like get in touch with the feeling. And then when you do that and you say that this is the other thing you can ask yourself is like, who are people who don't wear bras? Like, let's just use that for example. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, well, they're stupid. Uh, they're, you know what I mean? They're they're uh, unconscious. They're, you know, whatever it is. And then what happens to people? I think they're called men. <laughs> Stupid and unconscious who don't wear bras. That's pretty much right. That's right. You nailed it. Um, but you know what I mean? And then and then what happens to people like that? And then you take it down the line and you get in touch with your child's biggest fear about what happens to people who are or women who don't wear bras and are stupid and unconscious and are going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt and so blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? You understand? But and you're then you asking get in touch people to be introspective. Introspective. Yeah, I am. You and some people. Right out of my mouth. I think I, I think you're 100 percent right. Yeah. I think 0.005 percent of the American public have the uh, self awareness to do the work you're at. But if you're listening to this podcast, so you do, my my love, you do. And so the first thing that you feel, what Cynthia is telling us, is not a primary emotion. Well done. She's telling okay. you it's not a primary emotion. Ask yourself why you were triggered and go deeper and say, like, maybe what was the underlying emotion that triggered this reaction before you start screaming, get off my lawn, you hippie. A hundred percent. What's the feeling behind that? That's why I say, like, go address your stuff. Like, I, you know, I have to write every morning to address feeling to see what's going on with me because we don't really know. We get up, we hear the news, we start to do this, you know, whatever. We make our coffee and we're mm-hmm. not really, we don't know what the hell is going on with us. We don't sure. know what we're afraid of, what we're sad about, um, what we're, you know, worried about, uh, you know, because we get things poke us throughout our life. You know, yeah. something could happen. We could see something, a movie, uh, the weather. It could be anything that will remind you of something, but you don't even know because you're not addressing it and you keep moving forward. The next thing you know, you get into an argument with somebody while you're in your car. And then you kill them. You know, it's no big deal, but you know what I mean? It doesn't happen every day, Cynthia. <laughs> exactly. So let's, I, let's get to recommendations because okay. we're oh, going to well. run out of time okay. here. And I know you guys have curated for me. And yes. I'm going to start with Ricky. Oh, I've been listening to this podcast called Media Path yeah. where this woman, Cynthia Levin, she gives me a, <laughs> she dissects my brain, maps it, and she does the artist's way every morning. I Are can tell. Are you feeling triggered? Is that your, your morning pages? The three pages? No, no. Oh. It's just me writing okay. and then anything I can find. Yeah. So Ricky, you've been watching. Uh, now you... you you, on You're your the only list. person that calls me Ricky, and I appreciate that. I know, that's right? our that's own. That's yeah. our own it's our, thing. Yeah, it's I love that yeah. that you say that. So you have. Uh, I'm going to tell you what's on your list. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You had True Story, Kevin Hart scripted series on Netflix. You had yeah. Ted Lasso, which I have watched. Apple TV. Yeah. The Harder like They Fall. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Narcos Mexico. Netflix. Yeah. Wu Tang Saga. Hulu and Creative Pep Talk Pop. 
podcast. Which of those has anyone else kind of explored so that, that we can have a... I have watched Ted Lasso, and I have some theories about Ted Lasso and why we love it. Yeah. I love Ted Lasso because he made me feel good. Right. <laughs> you know, and it was... And after all the stuff that we've been through, that's what we... I felt like... Um, I made a song called Feel Good Again, and it was not a comedy song. And okay. I was just like, this is just how I'm feeling. I'm just going to take a risk and do an actual song that's not funny. And, how um, morazzy of you. Yeah, it was very morazzy. <laughs> <laughs> that's another inside joke. Well, <laughs> yeah. Jason Mraz um, is a longtime friend, and we've collaborated on stuff, and we've ta- I guess we've talked about that. And oh. But he, he has a lot of feel-good songs as oh, well. Oh, yeah, he's the best. So, uh, yeah, so... And so I've liked Ted Lasso because he was a real, he's a real character. He's got both sides, the dark and the light, but he always tries to make it all, make it a light situation. Mm-hmm. He tries to bring out the good. Yeah, he brings yeah. light. Yes. Yeah, he brings light and kindness, kindness into right. situations. And, and it was during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was healing mm-hmm. for a lot of people to watch someone being kind. Yeah. yeah. I watched America's Greatest Bake Off or British Bake Off. Oh, okay. I, wa- I mean, I'm just saying that made me feel good. I've, yeah. I've watched now 70,000 episodes of it. There's sure. nothing left for me anymore. <laughs> you can start at nothing, the beginning. There's yeah. nothing for me to feel good about anymore now that's no, over. No, no, no. They'll start baking again. Don't I, worry. I'm finding them to be boring at this point now. They're doing a Christmas special. I'm like, oh, God, everybody. Come on. Can we talk about something else? But, I mean, anyway, moving forward. All right. Going. Well, maybe it's time for some Survivor. There's the very little American food on that show. The American Drink Off. They no. should do it with, with well, alcohol now. <laughs> that Making... actually sounds festive. Yeah. I, um, I, but a Instead, it's I say yes to the dress. I've watched 20, 20 seasons. <laughs> Does anyone ever say no? Uh, <laughs> some people do. They say I'll come back tomorrow, and All then right. they say yes. But that's um, the that's <laughs> the uh, the male version of it for the groom. It's uh, say no to the bow. Say no to yeah. the bow. <laughs> Is that <laughs> bow tie? <laughs> so there's a delayed gratification, like, oh, she didn't say yes, maybe tomorrow, you know. Yeah. So, and then she finally yeah. does. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, it's addicting. And it's funny, my entire life, which is long, uh, I have not been interested in watching or getting, I've never even thought of myself in a wedding dress. I've, this, yeah, as I, I said, was this never, thing has been empty for most of my life. Yeah, so. no, I, I was never that girl. <laughs> never yeah. pictured any any kind of like bridal anything, uh-uh. you know. Yeah. Didn't pick up one bridal magazine. Don't care. No. I almost like I my thing with my family was like, do I have to come to my wedding? You know. Because <laughs> I mean, you guys I, just go. I could, you know, I could just RSVP, you know, not available and send a gift. <laughs> Save you a sandwich. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and they're like, yeah, no, you have to, you, you need to. <laughs> but so I hear, I, I feel that. Yeah. But um, yeah, feel good shows, I think during they the pandemic, there yeah. probably were shows that maybe people didn't realize were going to be that big of a hit. Right. But people just needed them in that moment. Yeah. yeah. It, it just was, I, I, I felt good about watching. I felt good about myself watching because I'm like, I'm not the only one who wants to be kind right now. Cool. Now, what about Narcos Mexico? I don't oh, feel yeah, any that's some feel- dirty stuff. Yeah, okay. let's kill people. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? That's the anti-lasso. Uh, so <laughs> Narcos is a long-standing series on Netflix. It's been on. There's they did it first in uh, Colombia, where it talks about cocaine and um, the harvesting, selling, distribution, and organized crime around cocaine and i find it fascinating because i'm totally not that person (laughs) and it gets me uh, an escape to a life that i'll never lead but is that like would cynthia say that's another part of the human condition that that's a very interesting point though yeah maybe that's one of the elements that draws people to darker stuff whether it's drugs or murder or whatever it's so not them that they get to flirt with something else but yeah it's it is in you 
right? No, but it is in you, but you haven't necessarily tapped into that because there's a part of you. You've gone in the whole other direction. I'll never be like that. You you learned that a long time ago. But now you're sort of like, oh, that's interesting, as opposed to that is sickening. I don't even want to look at it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I guess I do have that both sides, I guess, maybe. But I would never... I've never done any filth. drugs. If you I, want, no, I think you're pure filth. I'm pure filth. Yeah, absolutely. I just suppressed that part of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Joking, everybody. Relax, everybody. Calm All right, down. we're going to go to a uh, Cynthia pick, and I'll be back to you, Ricky. All right. Being okay. the Ricardos, oh, and yeah. you've already seen it. Yeah. Um, who else has seen it? You've seen it. You've not seen it. I saw it last night. Yeah, you just saw it. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Um, I, uh, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, writer and I believe hey, here, director. He's good. He's pretty good. Yeah. He's pretty good with words. Um, but you know he did. You know he's. I think he's. You know he's excellent at what he does. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think there's a wasted moment in this movie. Wow. And I also think that um, uh, Lucille. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I mean, first of all, Nicole Kidman plays Lucille Ball, mm-hmm. and nobody want. I didn't want to see her. You know, I was, I was mad at it. You know, but then but then I thought about it. Like, who are you going to get? Just somebody who looks like her. You know, you want somebody who's funny, but it turns out this film is not about necessarily her funny side. Mm-hmm. This focuses on uh, the time when she was, they said that she was a communist, and it takes place during like basically one week. It's all happening in one week, and it's very interesting. And it's also about her relationship with with uh, Ricky. Ricky! Um, so... Uh, it's uh, it's really. I just think it was so beautifully, so beautifully done, and um, I loved the behind the scenes of what was going on um, as they shoot the show, right? Because we don't. I mean, I of course have lived a sickening, pathetic life, so I haven't really been on set Stop for five days in a row. I'm sorry. I'm just unprepared for life. And and what I found one of the most interesting things about it was you're a, you you do great physical comedy when you're on stage. And I love the fact that she was driving the physical comedy and she, as a matter of fact, uh, overanalyzed and over-legislated yeah. all the physical gags 100%. on the show. Three o'clock in the morning, she decided to do a dinner scene different and get everybody down there to rehearse. Right. And and I totally get that. By the way, I related to how she operated on set and how she directed all those things. I. I I'd said to my friend Greg, I go, uh, that would be me. I would do it exactly <laughs> like that. And he goes, you would. And I do. Like, that's how I am with, you know, when I direct other things, you yeah. know. And and so and that's why I'm excited about Mel Brooks as well, because I, you know, comedy is it's like it's so critical, like how you do it. And uh, it's just it, and so anyway, she had that kind of brain. She was really intelligent. And and I just think that this was beautifully focused on the short period of time where we got to find out so so much and so much behind the scenes, and again the acting was was amazing. Um, Javier Bardem uh, played her husband, and I bought it a hundred percent. And his singing was, I mean, I was getting a little turned on. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I found him to be delicious. Wow, and yeah, you know, um, and, and and Nicole Kidman did a she did a great job. Once you yeah. get past the fact that it's not going to be a cartoon, you're not going to nitpick about every aspect of Lucy's physical self that she doesn't. She's not duplicating it. It's the situation. And the, what I loved about it was I didn't know one thing about that aspect of her life. I didn't know she was accused of being a communist. I w- when I went home, I tried to find out if the scene with J. Edgar Hoover was true because mm-hmm. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, and uh, and I was I have so much more respect for her now when I realized that she was the brains behind a lot of the physical comedy on that show. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was it was I, new I, information I, for me, and I loved how they treated the writers. I just yeah. loved like they just, I mean. 
the writers were really the writer. She was crackling. She, and, the, yeah. and, and come on, Aaron Sorkin dialogue is nobody can write dialogue. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So, so when do you think it's coming to streaming? Because I'm not ready to go into a movie theater. Oh, listen, the let me tell you something. I went and saw it at the Grove here in Los Angeles, and uh, there was. There was like 11 people in there, okay? And I walked out of the theater and there was 7 billion people in the Grove. So nobody's going in the theater. Get in there. Everybody's outside. Go inside. <laughs> you know? It's a safe place. It is. It's safer inside. inside. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. I felt 100% the way you did about it. I guess I could go to a movie. I, I feel the same way about movie theaters, but you know what? And meanwhile, I'm taking flights. So I guess... I guess a movie theater. How's is the road okay. business yeah. for you guys? Is it picking up? Is it for me? It, I've been doing it a lot. Yeah. How about you? I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. I've been I've been in, in town, producing my own shows oh, and okay. just doing that. Not, I mean, doing other shows too. But yeah. It no seems like people much. are ready. Like the other night when we worked together, people are bursting at the seams to come out and be taken out of their heads. And yeah. when they get there, they have a great time. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I'm like that because I'm doing the comedy shows, but then I'm noticing now. I'm going to restaurants. I'm like, I just got to, I'm not even hungry. I just want to be out. And I just want to be, eat, yeah. yeah, like get out of the house and, and do do something. Yeah. yeah I've been doing sure. it the whole time. I've really? been going to restaurants the whole pandemic, but I've been sitting outside. Yeah. I just, I have to, I have to do, I have yeah. no life. So I have to be, that's my social <laughs> thing is eating. Right. That's I, right. You know, I sit outside. I haven't been on a plane and I'm just a little bit nervous with the Omicron or whatever we're calling this guy. Um, and so I'm just still being careful. But it's I would love some movie theater popcorn. If someone if the next time you guys go to the movies, if you want to just swing by with some movie theater popcorn for me. I think you Check should go Amazon. to the theater. I go in. It's That's so about much, 40% it felt, of the attractions are going to a right? movie for me. Yeah. I could eat an entire Thanksgiving meal and be sated. And the minute I walk in the movie theater, I know, smell that popcorn. popcorn. Oh my God, I haven't eaten in months. What is that? Give me, this is going to be extra large. And the popcorn would be more calories for sure. All right. So, Cynthia, you wanted to talk about James Patterson and uh, let's see. Oh, and Mel Brooks. Let's see. What do you want to talk about the most? You get well, to pick. I'll just tell you this right. real quick. Um, I, mostly, it's more about Mel Brooks. I, I'm reading his book. Um, all about me, mm. and uh, I'm not done with it yet. Mm -hmm. But there was a point I wanted to make about it, which was so great and made me feel so happy. Um, which is, is that um, in the beginning of the book, he talks about um, you know his his mom and the way she uh, she dealt with him. And so he had this like big fear, you know, of, uh, you know, he'd watched some zombie movie with a friend of his and, he, and then he, and he was like five years old and he didn't want to go to bed, you mm -hmm. know, and he's like, and he tells his mom, he's like, mom, you know, they're going to come and they're going to, you know, you know, they're going to come to Brooklyn, you know, and they're going to, you know, and that's going to be the end of it and we're going to die. So right. I, I'm not going to sleep. And yeah. She's like, all right, let's talk about this. <laughs> She's like, all right, so these zombies, right now they're in like Transylvania or something like that, whatever it is, you know, yeah. so they're like overseas. Making travel you know, plans. Right, yeah, they're, yeah. they're overseas, you yeah. know, so it's going to take them a little time to, you know, to get over <laughs> here. So they're probably going to have to take a boat. I mean, it's going to have to take a boat, you know. So, so the boat takes a bit of a while, and they're going to, you know, whatever. And then they get over here finally, you know, and it takes, you know, and they're going to be hungry. So they're going to have to eat, you know, I mean, because you got to eat, you know, after a while you got to eat. They're going to be hungry. Sure. So they're going right. to eat, you know. And then they're going to probably, um, then they have to come, come over the, come over to Brooklyn. They got, right. you know, so, and, you know, so they finally get, you know, they get to Brooklyn and then they find their house, you know, and uh, what floor are we on? He's like, uh, we're at the third floor. Exactly. So, so they're going to go to the first floor and the second floor, the Goldsteins and the Goldfarbs, you know, and, they'll, you know, they'll get them first, you know, and we're, by that time we're going to hear everything, you know. So, you know, you're fine. He goes, yeah, you're right. You know, and he goes to sleep. So anyway, like the beauty of this is, is that this is a parent 
who like really encouraged imagination and logic and his person and logic <laughs> and also like who you who he was you know so he got to blossom you know and his imagination got to grow from this even within this, his fear yeah exactly Which you is, know yeah. and then I was yeah, she never said there's no such thing as zombies exactly I mean yeah. nothing you know I mean it was just and this so, is how you're supposed to talk to Alzheimer pe- people you just sort of agree just, with them well why not <laughs> what again you want to be right or you want them to have a f- good five minutes before they die <laughs> You know, I mean, good Lord, you know, I love that. It's like, again, ego, get the ego out of it. Sure. It's not about you, you know. And so the mother was able to do that. And the reason why I wanted to talk about that and because it, it made me happy. But also that um, I was watching um, if I can I have to remember her name. The, I was, you know, I've been watching these those master classes, which most of them are not oh, good, yeah, by the way. Master class, Steve Martin and yeah. so James Judy, Patterson. Yeah. And Judy Bloom, I watched. I haven't watched the Ooh, whole thing. I love but, her. you know, I love her books. Um, but she was talking about her childhood and her and her mom. Um, she had a lot of fears herself. Like she was afraid, you know, she was always cold all the time and she was afraid of this and afraid of that. And then her mother would just like allow her to have her fear. Oh, you know, oh, really? Like, tell me about, like, she would let her talk about it and, you know, just like literally and, and use her imagination and, yeah. right? And so this is like allowing somebody to be who they are. You meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. That's like the best way to be in a relationship. Meet mm-hmm. somebody where, as opposed to trying to make them who you want them to be. You know, and so here she had this really creative. So both of them had similar childhoods with similar mothers, you know, in terms of like how they were dealt with. And then they got to be creative yeah. and and then and not judged and criticized for who they were. So anyway, I wanted to just bring that up because I thought that was really great. Well, it really is. Great, wow. great analysis of parents relationship with children. Yeah. But talk a little bit about how master class works. You sign up. I see the ads on Facebook. But what happens? You sign up and it's like a seminar. It's there's a million people who they get to teach a class, right? Okay. And there's probably maybe like maybe there's ten episodes, and they're all just a few minutes long, um, and um, and most people don't teach that well. Most people are not that good at teachers. You know what I mean? But I wanted to say Steve Martin's is hilarious yeah. and wonderful. And the thing is, is that because he is a humble person, and he doesn't he's not going in there thinking I know everything. He's going, you know what? I don't. I had never saw myself as somebody who could teach this, but let me look it up myself. So he literally, and you can tell by the way he's teaching, is that he looked into it himself, mm. and he broke stuff down, and then he talks to people like you're his friend, and he believes in you. Like, that's how he treats you. And every single episode is adorable and funny, and then you also get to see clips of him, and he's brilliant. And one thing he did say, and we were talking about comedy and how you were saying that both uh, Eric and I bring ourselves to our work, is that... He that's what he talks about. It's like, you know, don't just I don't, don't just be a sentence teller. You know what I mean? Like if you, I bring emotion, like, of course, you know, it's, I'm emotional, you know, yeah. so uh, that's what it brings. And then with emotion comes physicality, you know, so but he talks about that and he's like, just use all of you. And, and I just thought he just has really great advice coming from somebody who's totally humble. And um, so it's a it's a fun one to watch. But again, I did the one I did the David Mamet one. Yeah, which was really good. Was it? And he tells little anecdotes about writing problems that he had doing one. And that, and that was kind of fun, too. Great. I'll so, watch that. Yeah. 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 And some of them are horribly boring. You know, unbelievable. Are there enough that are good that to make it worth it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. At first I didn't because I was broke. So, you know, you're mad at every dollar. You know what I mean? But (laughs) it's like one hundred ninety seven dollars or something like that for a year. For I th- it, you sign up and do as many as you want. 
Hmm. Do, you, right? do, you, do you get to keep it forever? I think so. I think so it's you like do a too. buffet. Once you buy it, you get to you, eat all the chickpeas you need. And I'd say okay. it's worth it. Okay. I would say okay. it's worth it. If you have the time to watch it, it's worth it. Okay, yeah. cool. So, Eric, before we close, yeah. you have a couple more things here that I want to hear about. What is Wu-Tang Saga? Okay, so nobody's talked about this on your podcast? No. Wow, really? I haven't even heard of it. As a matter of fact, did, is this true, Eric? I, I, I'm, oh, it's about Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang Posse? Clan. W- yeah, the Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, Clan. Oh, Sorry you, I saw, you heard Clan. <laughs> Sorry I called them a Posse. Sorry. album, they only made one copy of it and sold it for like a million dollars. I think so. Yeah, yeah. They, some rich guy bought it. They, they said, we're just going to have one copy yeah. of this album the rest you can find online obviously their music really? they made one copy of the album and some guy paid like it's a- like the first nft i guess how you that you yeah. create wow. scarcity yeah. and then there's demand that's like what nft is now but uh so okay, wu-tang saga wu-tang clan is a seminal hip-hop group yeah. out of uh long island okay aka i mean sorry uh, staten island staten island this is bad as calling them a Cause, posse because you said long island earlier <laughs> they're not uh, a posse and they're not from staten island yeah. which they call shaolin because they're very heavily influenced by uh martial arts movies so i'm a huge hip-hop fan as you may know but I would. I never really got that into Wu Tang. I knew okay. the surface stuff, um, and so Wu Tang is like an institution yeah. in hip hop. Like I felt, I felt like, like I an imposter. Right yeah, I felt like an imposter saying that I'm a hip hop fan, not knowing that much about Wu Tang. And mm-hmm. so, this series is it's brilliant. It's actually um, produced and created, I believe, by. Uh, RZA, RZA, who is the leader of the Wu-Tang Clan. Okay. So it's like his story. It's mm-hmm. like, according to him, this is what happened. And according to the other the members, this is this is pretty close. It's, 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 it's uh, exaggerated in some parts. But um, they were just guys out of the projects who were actually in different projects that had um, problems with each other. Okay. So they were, two of the members... Um, we're like trying to kill each other. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and so they squashed the beef and they became friends. Really? Yeah, they became band mem- band members and now We could all learn so much. Yeah, from this is this right. is our you guys heels. this yeah, is the our uh, problem our propaganda problem can be solved by Wu Tang. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I think so. Yeah. Is there anything about like Riz's work outside of Wu Tang? You have to repeat um, her question cuz she's okay, not on she, my Okay, uh, you, you asked if there any um about anything about Riz's work outside of Wu Tang, yeah. it's it. This is the beginnings of Wu Tang. So, this is um, you know they they're this two seasons so far, and they've gotten to the story where they're just breaking big. So their their first album's just coming out, and yeah. So you've heard of Method Man? Have you heard mm-hmm, of Method Man? Mm-hmm. So he's from Wu Tang Clan. Oh. Old Dirty Bastard. Mm-hmm. He's from really? Wu Tang. Oh, uh, DB. Hey, Fritz knows. <laughs> Fritz is street. <laughs> Yeah. Fritz knows everything. I'm a uh, Rastafarian. What's that? I'm a Rastafarian. Oh, that's Rastafarian. <laughs> okay, you know what we're going to do that's right reggae. now? We're going to wrap this thing up because it's really pretty oh, I get outside. It. Wrap it up. And we're going to. Oh, I get it. Yeah. I'll wrap it up. R A P it up. And we're going to go take some pictures outside of us because the sky after the rain is just gorgeous. And Fritz is going to tell folks how they can do us a solid. If you would enjoy this episode of The Media Path, and we know you did, it would help us to be more discoverable by potential new listeners. If you leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts, and if you're new here and this is your first time with us, please check out our back catalog. There's binge-worthy stuff. I'll give you an example. Lee Sklar, who we interviewed, may be one of the five nicest human beings on the planet. 
He's done over 2,000 recording sessions. He's got the record for the number of recording sessions. He was part of Carol King's original band, and he played on her Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction a couple of weeks ago. He's got a long white beard. He looks like the guy from Oak Ridge Boys. And Is he single? He, <laughs> well, let me look into that. Also, writer's room stories about the folks that were showrunners on Cheers. We have an episode with Marianne Ross who is the legendary Mrs. Really? Happy Day. Yeah. So there's tons of great stuff you can search if you go to our website. Thank you for spending an hour with us, and we would be overjoyed if you took a moment to share your thoughts with us or recommend us to a friend. And we would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediapathPod, and on Facebook, where we are MediapathPodcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, Media Path Podcast. I've just started TikToking at Louise Palanker. <laughs> We would love to know what media you've been enjoying. You can contact us at our social media or email us at mediapathpodcast at gmail.com. Do you TikTok, Eric? I've just started. I wouldn't I wouldn't direct people there. Just yet. <laughs> just yet. Yeah. But where can people find you online? Uh I would go to my website, ericschwartzlive.com. And how about you, Cynthia? Uh Facebook and uh and uh, Instagram, Cynthia Levin Seven. And um she seems nice on Twitter. And CynthiaLevinProductions.com. I, I love that. And then my apartment number is 545. <laughs> if you're Lee Sklar or an Oak Ridge boy. We want to thank our guests, <laughs> Cynthia Levin and Eric Schwartz. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco Demanda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. Yeah. I am Louise Palenker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path.